This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. My name is Scott Lewis. I'm the editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego and the host of Good Schools for All and the Voice of San Diego podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring one of our podcasts and associating your company's name or message with the great shows we produce, please let us know. Contact Aaron Zlotnick at Aaron at voiceofsandiego.org. That's E-R-I-N at voiceofsandiego.org. Today's podcast is sponsored by San Diego-based MindTouch, a cloud-based software that helps companies take product documentation and turn it into a customer engagement channel that educates buyers and creates product experts to grow revenue. With MindTouch, you can create a self-service customer experience with your documentation that increases customer success and improves sales and marketing. Here at Voice of San Diego, we have a soft spot for MindTouch because its co-founder and chief technology officer, Steve Bjorg, is one of our loyal supporters and tech advisors. If you're looking for a way to improve customer experience, check out MindTouch.com. My mom says my neighborhood school isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education possible? Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego and the Education Synergy Alliance. We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids. We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something. It should be an excellent school in every community. Enjoy the show. Well, hello there. My name is Scott Lewis from The Voice of San Diego. And I'm Laura Cohn from the Education Synergy Alliance. Hi, Laura. Hello, Scott. How are you? I'm doing great, actually. Uh, so I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. How do you get kids to know that they're not that smart? <laughs> that like, sounds like a trick question. Like, that? okay, they're smart. That's not it. That's not the right word. They don't get it. How do you just, just, just for instance. Okay, that they're wrong. Yeah, that yes. they don't know what, they, what, what they're what wrong What they don't about. know, yeah. I know. I, I, I struggle with that with, uh, with my kids yeah. who insist sometimes right. on things that are not factual. So my son this morning, he's turning six soon. He was just, just did not want to go to camp. He was like, uh, he was terrified of the splash camp that he's going to at the Y, right? This is just swimming and stuff. And, you know, he has this weird, he's a really good swimmer, but he has this weird anxiety that just really builds up for it. Right. So we've been working on that a lot. And he was just like, I'm not going, I'm just not going. And so we had to work through that. We got him, you know, to go, and uh, and then he shows up and he runs to his friend. He's like, "I'm in splash camp today. I'm so excited!" And and he's just their buddies and they're running around already again. I'm like, "What?" And I told you you would be okay, but how do you tell him? Like, I know better than you on this. I know that you are not that you do want to go. Yeah, and you're gonna have fun when you show up. Yeah, I mean you're battling anxieties in that in that situation, so they're not clear headed when they're listening to you. But we, uh, on the one hand, it gets. It gets better, but on the other hand, uh, teenage, we, my husband and I have this conversation all the time. Like, why won't they listen to us when we tell them what they should be focusing on or what they need to be doing to get ready for their future? Yeah, I got, I had a really good piece of advice. Somebody I read or something, somebody said, like, you, you uh, parent them so that they're, they're happy with things when they're 30, not with happy with you when they're six, 
right? Mm-hmm. Seven. That you, yeah. So you don't want to necessarily be a friend. You want to, but that's a lot easier said than done. <laughs> I can tell, like in the moment, you're like, well, I guess we're not going to camp, but we got to. I mean, yeah, had to had to go to camp. So, so yes, it seems like education is all about uh, trying to, you know, make sure the kids uh, understand the long term things. Um, at the top of the education system, of course, almost everywhere is what might be called a superintendent. Some places it might be called something different, but here it's superintendent, right? Correct, yes. Superintendent of every school district. Yep. And what we're going to talk about today is the job of superintendents. The uh, um, For the show today, we have uh, Luis Ibarra. He's the uh, a superintendent of the Escondido's Elementary School District. That's right. And he's coming in to talk about unique challenges there. Very unique, yes. <laughs> Although I think we'll, yeah, we'll talk about maybe not so unique. I mean, one of the things that he's having to do is manage his school board, which any superintendent will tell you is an unfortunately large part of their of their role. Yeah, he's kind of do- dealing with dual crises right now. One, enrollment in Escondido has gone down quite a bit. Uh, a lot of challenges from um, charter schools that they that are, are attracting kids. A lot of challenges uh, from uh, just other other places that parents want to take their kids. And so he's working on that. He has a very high percentage of English language learners. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he's got this really uh, just, uh, I mean, it seems like every school board is like a telenovela. Like it's just, there's just so much drama. And in this case, they actually had, they actually uh, did a restraining order on one of the school board members who was not pleased about that. And and that brought up a lot of civil rights activists and issues and such because you know, they're like, you can't come to the school board, but that's like my right as a trustee. Mm-hmm. So that was fascinating. So I asked him about how that's going. But all across the the county right now, and I guess, you know, everywhere, superintendent turnover is rather stunning, right? It is. It's It's really a problem for our education system, how rapidly superintendencies turn over. Because, uh, I think the typical timeline is somewhere between three and four years for urban superintendents. And you can barely sort of get rolling at that time period. And often it's much less. Right. And one of the most successful school districts in the county, the Poway Unified School District, just fired its superintendent, John Collins. Uh, He is accused of, of... of taking hundreds of thousands of dollars in unauthorized pay uh, and uh, filing litigation without the school board's approval, interfering with the district's investigation into his financial dealings. You can look up some of that. Uh, Ashley McGlone on our site wrote uh, just the headline, Why Poway Unified Fired Its Superintendent. Uh, he, they, The board is even um, thinking about asking Collins to pay back as much as $345,000. Mm. Um, it's, we have similar drama playing out at the county office of education, um, the superintendent there. As you guys are well aware, uh, there's an election going on right now. There was uh, two new members of the board of education that decide who gets to be the county superintendent have been elected. There's another election going on this fall, and one of the others was reelected. But in the meantime, before they take office, the board is now uh, pushed out, at least on a temporary basis and maybe permanent, uh, the superintendent of county schools, Randy Ward. Uh, yep. He's on paid administrative leave at the moment. 
and uh, he's a fascinating figure. And so there's actually a pretty good story, it looks like, in the UT that came out this week. The San Diego Union Tribune came out this weekend. Uh, Christine Heward and Maureen McGee wrote a piece about uh, about the kind of tangled web of not only who's been pushed out, but then who is uh, coming to replace the, uh, the county superintendent, a guy named Edward Velasquez, who was actually the interim superintendent for Poway mm. for like <laughs> like three days or something before he went on to take out. Now, remember, the county office of education has a variety of responsibilities. On the one hand, it is, uh, you know, the in some ways, the state overseer of school districts in the... State's agent locally, right. Yeah, but then on the other hand, it also runs schools. A few, yep, a yeah. few schools for uh, juvenile justice-involved youth and, um, and other kids who need special schools. Both of those situations just make me really sad, sad for the individuals involved, but also, uh, also sad for the school districts because they're incredibly distracting and stressful for all the administrators involved. Um, and so they're just, I'm, I know they're paralyzed, both of those uh, districts, the County Office of Education and Poway are paralyzed waiting for these things to play themselves out. And poor Poway picked an interim superintendent. He got snagged over to the County Office of Education. It's just um, really unfortunate for kids. I, I do think that in Poway, there's really strong um, infrastructure underneath the superintendent. And so I have confidence that the schools, um, for the most part, are going to get up and running this fall and um, keep delivering good stuff for kids. But still, um, it's a big waste of energy. Yeah, and the debate is just draining itself. It must be exhausting mm-hmm. uh, to follow. Just the, the you know, a lot of this goes back to, you know, some of the investigative work we did about the the big long-term gambles on on bonds that Poway was doing to to construct things now but then not pay it off for several decades. And uh, and then that kind of helped usher in a new board, uh, a few new board members who uh, put a lot of pressure and scrutiny on the situation, and uh, and apparently now the entire board is is concerned about some of these things that have been revealed in an audit about the Poway Unified School District Superintendent John Collins. So that's something uh, fascinating to watch. Even in the San Diego Unified School District, of course, had its uh, very notorious superintendent Alan Burson mm-hmm. for a long time, and he, he was longstanding. He stayed, uh, I believe, for seven years, which was a good stint for an urban soup. Yeah, but the the sort of long tail of his tenure mm-hmm. you can still see it and feel it in some ways uh, at San Diego Unified he was there left in 2005 since then there's, there was Burson there was there's been five um, superintendents since 2005 including Burson so Burson was followed by Carl Cohn mm-hmm. uh, Carl Cohn went off uh, he, he used to run uh, Long Beach schools was very famous for that and then he went off to run the Ed Source was it no, not in source. Now he's just taken over a new state agency, actually doing the accountability system for the state. Oh, really? Yeah, but I can't remember what he did in in between. Is that the one where they're going to be like, uh, it's going to be a like color coded system of how you evaluate schools? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, we'll see I, how I look that plays forward out. to yeah. that. <laughs> uh, they're getting rid of the kind of traditional sort of. Um, you know, test base. Well, this school had an API of blank, and this school had an API blank, and now they're going to roll out this this color coded thing. Huh? Yeah, multifaceted, multi dimensional. Yeah. And followed by Terry Greer. Terry Greer was, as you, I think you put it well, he had a sense of urgency to sort of implement a lot of the, you know, Cohen was just kind of a, a peacemaker in many ways. Right. Uh, Greer came in and said, nah, we have to fix things fast. Right. We have to fix things fast. Um, all hands on deck. 
everything is not okay. Uh, let's move, let's move, let's move. And he, he just couldn't get support for that attitude and um, took off for Houston yeah, after can, less than two years. Yeah, he complained about micromanagement, went to Houston in 2009, served more than six years at Houston before he, he left there, kind of surprisingly to some of the board members there. Yeah, it wasn't it appears it was an ousting. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh and then Sandy Greenified have Bill Koba, who was just kind of the second in charge for a while and just a real good manager, mm-hmm. but obviously didn't have uh or desire or or they didn't really want him to have a larger sort of reform or or, you know, progressive vision or something. It was just about keeping things going. Former admiral who was really tasked with writing the ship financially mainly. Right. And then that, of course, was followed, and I I was surprised to hear it more than three years ago. Now she's starting her fourth year. Stunning how fast time goes. Uh, Cindy Martin. And that makes sense because I remember interviewing her on stage, and my daughter had just been born. And now she's uh, three and a half years old, so that makes sense. She, uh, Cindy Martin, was uh, promoted from a principal of an elementary school in City Heights to the top job. And in the seventh largest school district in the country. Right. It was an amazing uh, selection that the school board did without any public process at all. Um, a lot of us were anxious and nervous about it, but she's settled in after after three years and entering her fourth school year. So if she makes it through the school year, she'll have beaten the average uh, uh, um, time for an urban superintendent. And it's good for districts when... What's the average? 3.2 years or something? Something like that. Yeah, I yeah. think we had it here from the urban school superintendent's study. Uh, 3.2 years in t- 2014 was the average tenure. Oof, that is... That is a tight window to get things done. You are under the urban superintendents are in, under so much scrutiny from the public, from their own school boards, from the press. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it is just hard to please everybody. Um, high pressure, very complex system, huge budgets that you're managing, and they just uh, don't tend to last, as we've seen over the last uh, over the last years since Burson. Yeah. So I, looking back at Cindy Martin's tenure at Santa Unified, she. Uh, yeah, I think it's been marked by mo- mainly two sort of initiatives. One, to increase the quality or the, you know, in her opinion, to increase the quality of principles. Mm-hmm. You know, she said, she basically looked at the system and said, I'm not sure we're going to be able to do a lot on, um, you know, all these things that we always talk about, about teacher placement, about teacher, you know, about uh, recruiting and all those things. And really said like, but one thing I can do, I do know what a good principal is and I can make sure each school has a great principal. And there was a ton of principal turnover. And in fact, some of it got to the point where it was a little bit scandalous. And um, actually one of the tensions about removing a principal ended up leading to the removal of a, or the re- resigning of a, of a school board member, Marnie Fox. Foster and some of the tensions that are that were there about uh, the pressure that was put on getting rid of the, one of those principles uh, is is still sort of haunting. I think the system and haunting uh, uh, Cindy Martin. But then I think the other thing that uh, has been marked by this time is an inc- incredible investment in facilities. Right. And uh, and she's had to help oversee uh, a ton of of controversies and priority questions, but also just uh, ribbon cuttings, man. There's just <laughs> a lot being built across San Diego Unified because of tax increases for uh, school construction. Right, and that's a that's a good uh, opportunity that she's had to oversee that investment, help to guide it that was put in place, I guess, before she started, right? Those um, 
bond measures were passed before I believe they were passed before yeah, she started. Yeah, just uh, right the the second one the actual tax increase was passed right before she started. Right before she started, right. And so she she got to do the implementation part. But the principal changes is such an important lever. You know, just like the school board their main lever is who is the superintendent. For the superintendent his or herself, their one of their main levers is who are my school leaders? Who's my team of people leading at the schools and through whom um, any district initiatives really will be flowing? Obviously, the um, teachers have, you know, need, they need the teacher core also to be on their bus, on their side. But uh, those those principal positions are key. Yeah. So I think um, there was a clip uh, about how difficult it is for a, uh, a superintendent uh, to make any giant changes or, or show a lot of progress in uh, student achievement. And Lewis Freeberg, the uh, head of EdSource, right? He's the uh, the school education news system. Yes. Yeah, he was, in fact, he was in town a week ago Friday for our P3SD conference talking about they also do research at EdSource. And so he was talking about research he'd done on dual language learners in early education. So we were grateful for him to come down to San Diego. And he has some insights in this clip. Yeah, so Southern California Public Radio, uh, KPCC interviewed him about some of this turnover that happens at this this spot. And I think he made a really good point about how, um, you know, difficult it is to make change in that short period. This is not a job for the for the faint of heart. I mean that that is for sure, uh, and particularly with the large districts, because uh, there are so many layers to this. I mean, we do need to acknowledge also that the superintendent is just one person, and that really the people who do the work, <laughs> the, the the heavy lifting are the teachers in the classroom. In fact, there is research that suggests that in terms of the student achievement, the length of time that a superintendent stays on the job is not correlated with uh, improvements in test scores. But one of the problems there is that it may be that superintendents haven't been on the job long enough to be able to really have this translate into, into the increases in student achievement. We've talked to people who say, and these are these are highly distinguished uh, educators, who feel that it, maybe it takes eight or nine years to really implement reforms, to really make a difference, and uh, and when you have the average tenure now, we the the, the Council of Great City Schools did a survey, and uh, the last survey they did was, was just a little over three years was the average length of tenure. So is that really enough time to really see these reforms through, to really make a difference? So Brookings uh, did a, uh, their own research on this and wondered whether this you know focus on superintendents was kind of irrelevant. They pointed out that same thing. It's a short-term job. Student achievement doesn't improve with the longevity, though, even then, if it goes on uh, with superintendent service. Hiring a new superintendent is not associated with higher student achievement, and superintendents account for a very small fraction of student differences in achievement. And they quote, this effect, while statistically significant, is orders of magnitude smaller than associated with any other major component, including measured and, and unmeasured student characteristics, teachers, and districts. So is the superintendent irrelevant? Well, I I read that study when it first came out, and I was immediately skeptical. Um, 
I just, so look, when superintendents are in place, the test scores likely do go up, but what they tried to do statistically is to separate out the impact of the superintendent's longevity from all the other things that are happening that are um, having an effect on test scores. And so I just, I feel like it's more of a statistical anomaly or um, a flaw in their statistical approach than real evidence that superintendents don't matter for student achievement. The superintendents matter a lot. You can see when you have a really strong and stable superintendency that you see morale go up. You see uh, principal quality on average going up the way we um, talked about that Cindy Martin is working on in her own district. You see them getting to second order work. So Cindy Um, as we discussed, maybe has focused on her principles and on implementing her capital programs, but she's teed up now some pretty major instructional changes around early education and around high schools um, and other things that now over the next few years, she'll have an opportunity to, um, to really implement. So while maybe they can't uh, technically and statistically detect the impact of a long-term superintendent on kids, um, I I truly believe that it's there. Hmm. Well, on that note, let's do our number of the week. Our number of the week is 11. That's the number of new superintendents that the 42 school districts um, around San Diego County are going to have. So 11 school districts will have new superintendents. How many um, school districts now. are there? Total of 42. 43 if you count San Diego County Office of Education, but 42 official school districts. So about a quarter turnover. Yes. yes. Yeah. 25%, a little more than that uh, turnover. So that's a new cadre of leadership coming into our school districts. And that doesn't count this change potentially occurring at San Diego County Office of Education. Correct. Wow. Fascinating. All right. Well, what do you think is working? Well, so for what's working, let's talk about our longest-serving superintendents, who are Kevin Holt, the superintendent in San Marcos Unified School District, and Francisco Escobedo, the superintendent um, who's down in the Chula Vista Elementary School District. Kevin has been um, in place for eight years and uh, Frankie for six years, and uh, those are both really standout districts for the quality and stability and um, and good work that they're doing throughout. And I think um, in both cases, they're great leaders, but also because they've been um, around for a while, that means that they're getting to the, the hard stuff. All right. Well, stay tuned. We have that interview with Luis Ibarra, uh, Ibarra at, uh, at uh, Escondido, and he, again, is dealing with these things head on. It seems like their job really is balancing a lot of angry people <laughs> a lot of the time, right? <laughs> there are angry people, yes. When you're in public life, you're going to be dealing with a lot of angry people. There's frustrated parents about the quality of their schools or some incident that might happen. There's all kinds of drama that happens in schools and you know, crimes, major and minor. And, yep. and and then there's the school board that has all their pressures that they hear from constituents. And then there's labor groups and there's reformers and philanthropists. I mean, balancing all that must just be maddening, which was obviously indicated by the, the tenure that's so small of, of these superintendents. So stay tuned for uh, Luis Ibarra. And then, um, but uh, first we, we wanted to remind folks in San Diego City, in the city of San Diego, most of the city, there's some parts of the northern part of the city that are, of course, in different districts. But uh, San Diego Unified School District covers uh, the vast uh, uh, area of the city of San Diego. And 
It's important to remember that this year, school starts August 29th. New thing. Used to be after Labor Day was the first day of school, but um, it got rolled back to August 29th now. So heads up, families. Yeah. Make sure you're ready for school on August 29th. Yeah. So uh, I know that's something we're well aware of, but just keep it in mind if uh, uh, for your own planning purposes. It last year started after Labor Day and and every six first six weeks of every school year feels like the same thing. It's a lot of talking about air conditioning. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. uh, remember, I think the school district is committed to giving almost every school in the in the district uh, air conditioning. We'll check up on how that's going. It's uh, it, it seems like a good investment, but there's a lot of things that it had to jump priority for too. And that's going to be um, uh, interesting to watch going forward. If you are getting ready for school and you have some questions or ideas or things you want us to to think about, uh, please consider leaving a message on our voicemail at 619-354-1085. That's 619-354-1085. And uh, we can, um, we can, if you just make sure to let us know if you don't want us to um, play your message on the air and tell us also your full name and, and what area you are from so that we can play it if it's uh, an insider question about uh, the school year starting or about your teachers, about how to uh, judge schools, what Whatever. We'd love to hear that. Absolutely. And um, again, if you care about this show, if you care about any of our education coverage at Voice of San Diego, please consider donating at voiceofsandiego.org slash donate. Also, this would be a good spot right here for a sponsorship message. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we have a, a deal with uh, the Synergy, the Education Synergy Alliance here to uh, share some of that. So if you want to support this show, you want to be recognized for uh, something you provide to the local education system or, or your, your company or business or, or nonprofit or whatever, um, this is a good opportunity, a uh, good space to do that. We make windows available for our sponsors. So please consider that. You can get uh, more information on that uh, by emailing Aaron. Zlotnick, that's uh, E-R-I-N at uh, voiceofsandiego.org. And uh, your website is sdedsynergy.org, right? It is. And you're welcome to click on the donate button there as well. All right. So here is Luis Ibarra. All right, we're joined in the great Voice of San Diego podcast studio in downtown San Diego by Luis Ibarra. He's the uh, superintendent of schools at uh, Escondido Unified School District, correct? Escondido Union. Escondido Union. Great. There you go. Sorry about that. Um, So welcome. Tell me about Escondido Union. Well, it's it's the elementary district in Escondido, Mm -hmm. and we serve students from kindergarten through eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And we've got 23 schools. 17 elementary schools, five middle schools, and one intermediate school. How many students? We have approximately 17,000 students. Okay, and that's actually an issue right now. That's a little bit lower than before, right? That's correct. What happened? Well, we've been experiencing over the years um, declining enrollment. So we've uh, what we've done is put together a task force to uh, dig deep into the issue because mm-hmm. we wanted to uh, study the issue and get as many voices at the table of why parents are choosing other alternatives for their child's education. Now, was there a change of some kind in how, um, you know, the, the choice option that people had in Escondido, or was it was it just suddenly a new uh, trend of choice? Well, cho- choice has always been an option for parents, mm-hmm. um, but with the establishment of charter schools, seems to be another, uh, more choice options, especially in Escondido, so we're we're very cognizant of that issue and want to make sure that the parents 
uh, choose the best uh, option for them, and we want to make just make sure that we are included in that option. And the school district still um, oversees those charters, right? That is correct. Okay, so was there any change that was made to um, allow more charters or or rules or just sort of a, a bubble? Well, the the charter school movement, as far as ha- whether there's a change in policy, mm-hmm. it's really driven by law. Mm-hmm. As long as the charter school. Um, uh, provides a solid petition, uh, we're, we're obligated to approve the charter. As mm-hmm. long as they're fiscally sound, they present a, a sound educational program, then we, um, by law, have to approve the charter school. Right, and you're not anti-charter. You're just trying to make sure the traditional schools compete well, right? Correct. That's just what, w- what we want to do is make sure uh, we figure out why the parents are choosing other options and then possibly provide those options for the parents. And what? What is the so? When did the task force get put together? We put together uh, late spring, and we've had about three meetings with the task force, and it's made up of uh, various members of the community, from parents, teachers, classified employees. But we also brought in uh, city officials, uh, pol- uh, police department, CEOs from the business communities, mm-hmm. and uh, de- uh, developers, so that they can be at the table with us. Mm-hmm. And how long have you been at the district? Uh, it's m- completed my second year. Yeah? Yeah. What's it like? Oh, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful district. I've got amazing teachers who have a heart for the work. I've got students that just show so much promise. So it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So the task force, well, what have they uh, had any reports come out yet or any kind of insights that have emerged from it that, you, that caught you? Well, so far we've been studying the issue and we're about to, at our next meeting, is have a, uh, a draft plan present to the Board of Education. Oh, the next one? Yes. When's that? It'll be on August 30th. And how how often does the the board meet? The task force? No, your board. My board meets um, twice a month. Okay. Okay. So the next one's coming up, but that should be interesting then. Yes. Uh, And what kind of, you know, changes, if you could, you know, sort of uh, snap your fingers, would you make to make the schools more attractive? Well, actually, we're in the process of doing that. I mean, we've it started with... Yeah, you're not of, waiting for the yes, test. Yes, absolutely. Or... One of the things we start uh, when I first came on board, the Board of Education, literally the first first meeting, it was a, a workshop to look at the feasibility of passing a school bond, which we, I'm proud to say, did. Mm-hmm. $182.1 million to take care of the safety. It was about safety, networking infrastructure, and and our aging facilities. And we've actually been doing a lot of work over the summer to um, get some of the projects underway. We just did a report recently about um, how different each school in the city of San Diego is on how accessible it is. Like you can walk onto some of the campuses, you know, as a stranger with no problem. Others, there's guards and gates. Is is that the kind of thing you're dealing with, is access issues and, and making sure it's, it's secure all around? Absolutely. That was one of the priority um, projects that we actually com- uh, just completed. We looked at all of our schools, and we had some schools that had appropriate fencing. We had other schools that had, they were completely wide open mm-hmm. to the community. That's how they were designed. So we we looked and worked with the architects to put fencing and that would complement the neighborhoods and also provide a uh, uh, safe access onto the campus to make sure that our goal is to have an entry and exit that is um, is through the office when not possible. When that's not possible, we're looking at different options as far as a buzzer with the camera. Mm-hmm. So that's um, 
we've, we're just about to complete our final school in phase one. I understand that the um, office staff that have to deal with those buzzers are often uh, uh, can kind of create a maddening situation. <laughs> Sometimes it goes off and off and off. Oh, absolutely. It's like a door. It's like a doorbell. Yeah. And, but, you know, you can see the parents coming in and you, you, uh, our office staffs are wonderful. They know who's, who the parents are. So they're like, oh, good morning, Mrs. Gomez. Come on right in. Right. Well, obviously, charter schools are attractive for a number of reasons. In in some cases, they they create a more you know project based learning environment. Sometimes, or they create more freedom, less homework, um, more playtime, more free time, something like that. What do you think um, charter schools are doing in Escondido that are making them more attractive? Well, definitely, it's providing those choices. And one of the things that Task Force has uncovered was. We probably have some of the best kept secrets in our community of the programs that are going on in our schools. So that'll be one of the uh, one of the recommendations that I'm sure that'll come out is how do we uh, let the parents and the community know about all the programs that are available already in in our schools. For for example, we have a, a new school of choice just opened last year. It's Quantum Academy, mm-hmm. and it's it was completely designed by two teachers. We had teachers design the school, the curriculum, and it is. By far, they're doing amazing things with technology and, and project-based learning. What's the difference? What, what, what are they doing there that wouldn't be at a normal school or a traditional well, school? It's all the teachers are on board with, with the direction, and they're planning together. And also, the, it's a, uh, about 320 students, so it provides a small environment for the students. So that's also one of the issues when parents look at other options. They want a safe um, environment for them, much more uh, cozy, you know, mm-hmm. if you will. And it's a four through eight school, oh, so okay. an intermediate. So again, um, when, we, when we study the data, we find that parents that are, love their elementary schools, but when they go into the middle school, that tends to, when they're a little yeah, bit larger. I think that's the case in, in my experience as well, that, that there, a, lot, a lot of people are like, well, this is good. This elementary school is good, but you got to watch out for the middle schools. Why do you think that comes up so often, so so ubiquitous almost across school districts? Well, it's, it, initially it's change. Mm-hmm. It has to do, you know, with going into a new grade mm-hmm. and much more older kids. And parents don't really want to see their children grow up so fast because it does happen. Um, so that's the change. And secondly, there's a lot of, I mean, the middle schools are uh, do tend to be a little bit bigger. And you want to keep your, uh, some parents prefer a uh, more small environment. So that's why we're looking at different choice options. Mm-hmm. So uh, four through eight, is, um, are there other changes you guys are doing to uh, make the schools more attractive? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the other is addressing our achievement. Mm-hmm. So we, what we're, we're involved in, you know, uh, everybody knows that the standards have changed. Yeah. Specifically in math and language arts. And it's a lot of newness. So we're making, investing in our teachers and our administrators, and we're providing a lot of professional development. In fact, we've launched another initiative for our, our teachers. That ha- we've contracted with, with a company called West Ed, the mm-hmm. researchers, and the research camp company actually came in and did a, a, our, a review of our English learner program mm-hmm. and came out with some, some findings and recommendations. And so we're working with them to work with our staff on work strategies to help specifically our English learners. How many English 
learners do you have? What percent? We're, we're just under 50%, about 46, 47%. 46%. Of our wow. students are come in and are different levels of English proficiency. Sure, sure. One of the things uh, that often comes up, and in, in you, you hinted at it with this discussion of traditional schools, uh, competing is not the right word, but competing with charter schools, and uh, what what often comes up is is a concern that the as you expressed that um, basically two concerns one that uh, the schools that are traditional schools aren't advertising or marketing the things that make them interesting or unique and then the second is they're not doing some of the things that make you know charter schools unique what what would you say the you know if you were to rate which is a bigger deal for you right now. Um, is it the marketing and self-promotion or is it that you need to do more of the innovative, um, creative type changes? Actually, it's a uh, split on both because yeah. there are some amazing things that are going on in our schools right. and our teachers need to get, uh, receive credit for that. Right. I mean, our parents point that out to us all the time. It's like, wow, if we've got this, this great program going on at Reedy Creek Elementary School, parents come, um, and so by word of mouth. So we want to do a little bit more than just the word of mouth. Right. The other area is providing more options of the curriculum is we need to now improve on that and make sure that we've got what's good at one school. Is it, is it good to do it systemically throughout our district? And that's what we're starting to look at. What are we doing systemically throughout our district to make them more appealing, reach our students more, and make, make education um, innovative and creative for our students? Because ultimately, it's, it is a, the world of work is a lot differently. One of the things we've been talking about a lot lately is English language learners and and you know what might be changing in the landscape of bilingual education efforts. You know, schools that are are bilingual submersion, but also allow English language learners to be in those programs as well. Um, that's obviously something that state law is addressing this year with the initiative that's going through to to more uh, you know to sort of overthrow the previous initiative that that made bilingual education like that illegal what um is that something you guys are pursuing as well are there bilingual schools up there well we have uh, bilingual programs in several of our schools and so what we did last year was start to uh, have an identification for the programs we needed to define the programs and we worked with bilingual teachers to actually uh, uh, refine the programs and they're they're it's a dual immersion program now and it's being launched in the fall cool cool well, I got to ask you about this too. So there were last year there was a lot of drama at the Escondido uh, Unif- Union School Board. Um, Jose Fragoza, uh, one Fragoso, one of the uh, uh, board members, was uh, given a restraining order, and that was I guess really recently uh, relieved. He was allowed to go back to meetings in April. Was it right? That's correct. And so uh, are things getting better? Or well, um, yes, uh, it's about moving forward. And it's about getting to common ground mm-hmm. and letting everybody know why we're there. And number one, we're there for the kids. Um, but secondly, it's really about making sure we all have the same, the same um, accountability, the same commitment to the students, same commitment towards civility of how we work with each other. Because ultimately, the students are watching how we interact with one another. Mm-hmm. And that's how we want to teach the students, through examples. And so it's... It's about making sure we have mutual respect and civility, and we can have the tough conversations, but we still have to be respectful. So uh, Fragoso made a, a lot of points, and he, he's really tried to align himself with kind of a civil rights movement, saying like he's you know uh, uh, being whatever uh, discriminated against because of, of either his views on diversity or because of his own uh, background. But 
but the, the point being like he was trying to bring up uncomfortable things and that was what was at the heart of the concern that you guys had. Um, do you want to re- refute that? Absolutely. We've, from, the, from the minute I got there, we've been br- I've been bringing these issues up as well. It's not a lone voice in, in, in the conversation. What would you it's say re- those, issue, those issues are? Really, it's about working and working and refining our strategy to work with our English learners, mm-hmm. improve our academic achievement for all of our students, and making sure we have uh, making sure that we have appropriate programs that meet the needs of our kids. I was given a speech on uh, Friday, and, and one of the things I told the audience that I wish we were better at was being comfortable with arguing that it's that it's okay to argue, it's okay to debate. Um, that we actually, I actually feel like we're cutting those off too often. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I didn't actually watch uh, what was going on in Escondido. So at what point um, does, does, you know, healthy conflict and debate and arguing in a, in a civil society cross over to where it's unproductive or um, something that actually needs, you know, things like restraining order? When it becomes unproductive, is when you start attacking people or mm-hmm. you start attacking. You've got to stay to the issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can have great discourse. In fact, um, that's what our, the basic premises of our society are, are about, is having a forum to share your opinions. Because ultimately, is when you pull in all the multiple points of views, you're going to make the best decision. And that's what, as a civilized society, you've got to, you, you've got to engage in that type of discourse. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be protocols, proper decorum, because that's... That's really what we're talking about, and that's what the issue was. It was about uh, providing a safe and positive work environment for everyone. Mm-hmm. The state has been debating on and off a, a lot of different um, changes to the way uh, teachers are either evaluated or, or placed in schools. Uh, do they have? Uh, should schools have more freedom to recruit t- t- teachers? Should uh, uh, should they have? Uh, should it be easier to uh, fire or or provide more negative or helpful um, evaluations? Should those evaluations have more than just positive or pass fail or whatever? Should there be? Um, should there be more openness around this process? Should there be a longer uh, period between when a teacher is hired and when they be, when they get permanent status? Uh, are those debates that you're following that you you could find some uh, you know would things get a lot better better for you managing a school district if any of those were implemented? Well, I'm yes, definitely we're following all of those conversations. However, I believe that if you have those honest conversations. Uh-huh. with any of your employees or people you're working with, if you have those honest conversations right from the start, nine times out of 10, that will take care of it. And then there's a procedure for taking care of the other issues. As employers, as managers, as any boss does, you have to have a conversation with your employees, let them know what's going on, what's not working, what is working, and what would you like for them to do or try or seek support or seek assistance with. If you start with that premise, you can get a lot done. I hear that a lot, that that there might be a lot of restrictions on firing or evaluating teachers, but you can get almost around, not around them, but you can deal with the problem if you just talk frankly and directly with somebody who's struggling and say, like, this might not be the best for you, or there's, you know, what can we do to help you, that sort of thing. Is that what you're hinting at? Yes, absolutely. Because typically when you run into problems is when there are surprises. Mm-hmm. And by nature, people are nice, especially in education. We're nice people. And we don't often have, want to have those conversations. I mean, nobody likes to have those conversations. But as managers, as administrators, we're bound by law to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And um, because we're evaluating people, we're supervising people. 
it, but you can do it in a, in a professional and a humane way. Are you seeking out principals who can have those conversations? Absolutely. Always. How, how do you tell? Oh, you can tell. You can tell. And there's a track record and you can um, ask how when you're in, through the interview process and just some of the work that the, the way they answer the questions, you can really tell. Well, Luis Ibarra, what uh, what are what are the programs that you're most excited about? What is the what are the upcoming changes that uh, you think um, um, people in Escondido and and around the uh, county could learn from or or would be happy to learn about? Well, one of the, one of the things we're very excited for this upcoming year is um, we're putting systems of support in all of our schools where we have. I mean, we've we've been working towards this, but now it's putting the the cherry on the top and. and we have a social worker at every one of our sites for, to provide counseling services, support. We've got fa- parent liaisons that are working with our families to get them connected to school and maneuver the system of, of school. When there's issues, they can work with the parents to help them with that. And then we have also have intervention teachers. So we're addressing the social-emotional support for our students to include discipline, and we're also uh, addressing the academic support as well. So we're very excited about that uh, for the upcoming year. Investing a lot in professional development, especially for English, to uh, provide strategies for addressing our English learners. And then we're, we're uh, continuing with our STEM initiative with our middle schools. Um, so there's a lot going on in Escondido. Luis Ibarra, the superintendent of Escondido Union School District, thanks for joining. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.